Well, thanks for the rundown on our announcements, Brian. Hey, I'm going to add my two cents on one of them. One of the teams um, was the prayer team, that pre-church prayer. And, you know, recently I used to be frequently a part of that, but haven't been able to to do it as consistently here. We usually pray in this room right there. But uh, Cody Schultz, who put together the greeting team, did this great thing. So the greeters are going to meet with the prayer team to all pray together at the beginning of the service and it was a catalyst for me to get back in the rhythm of that of joining you guys for prayer and so just a shout out to our prayer team and those covering this worship service in prayer and asking the Lord to be glorified in our time together when we meet so okay um let's look at our theme for 2024 that's what we're going to do this week we're not going right back into our study on Elijah You might have thought that that would be the case this week since we're through Advent and things like that. Um, But what we're going to do before we get to that next week is is take one Sunday just to look at a verse that's going to serve as a theme for us, hopefully for the whole year. You know, a friend of mine asked me a few weeks ago if we were going to do that at church because we used to do it every single year that we'd have sort of a theme for the calendar year. But the last couple of annuals, uh, years, (laughs) annual years, You know what I mean. We haven't done that because there's been some other projects that we've been looking at. And then also I admitted that I always felt kind of guilty that we'd do like, here's our theme for 2019. And, uh, you know, I'd forget about it in March. Um, So this year, Lord willing, I'll be better at that, that this theme will carry through throughout the year, although I will say it's very intimidating choosing one verse that's like, this is it for 2024. But this is one that seemed to strike a nerve with a lot of people as we talked about potential theme verses this week, and it has to do with sleep. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand for the reading of God's word, the Psalm 127 verse 2. We're going to look at the psalm in its full context a little later, but for now, I just want to isolate this particular verse. God's word says this, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives to his beloved sleep. Let's pray. Lord, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in these next few moments would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, especially as we, we handle your scripture at a place that is just ripe for misinterpretation, ripe to hear condemnation rather than encouragement, I pray that you would allow me to handle it well and for all of us to hear your voice in it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys can be seated. So this is a passage that Brian and I often turn to whenever we get to meet a new baby for the first time. Which, by the way, I just got to meet Reed Jeffrey Meduno, who's at church for the first time today. And he's what? Eight days? Seven days? Six. Oh, man. Six days old. He's at his first church service. Let's go. So when Brian and I, you know, Lord willing, I don't know if Jeff and Rachel will do this, but if they invite us over their house to meet Reed more, uh, you know, in a relaxed setting, we'll get to hold him, pray over him, and oftentimes we love to read a scripture for the family. In Psalm 127, we often turn to. 
because this is a passage, especially as it ends, that really hones in on the blessing of children. I mean, verse 3 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Uh, shout out to Arrow Wyan. I believe he's named after this verse, right? So this is a passage that we love reading to new parents. But now, here's the deal, though. Oftentimes when we go to visit, it is right in that infant stage where a baby is, you know, waking up mom and dad six times a night. Parents haven't slept in days. They look exhausted. They have these bloodshot red eyes. And then me and Brian read to them, it is vain that you rise up early and vain go late to rest. God gives his beloved sleep. Oh, man. We were talking about it this week. It's like there's times where we're reading that out loud to new parents and, and internally we're thinking, should we skip over this verse? <laughs> is it cruel to read this to a new parent, to a mom who's like literally about to die of exhaustion? God gives to his beloved sleep. And... and, and I never have skipped over it, just so you know. But, I mean, the fear for me is that someone in their exhausted state would, would hear that scripture and think, oh my goodness, if God gives his beloved sleep and I haven't slept for a week because my newborn is crying every night, am I not his beloved? That is not what this text is saying. Nor is it condemning maybe people that are in conditions of having chronic insomnia or chronic pain that wakes them up or keeps them up. Or even like last night, I woke up in the night because I had heartburn. This passage isn't condemning me or you for that. It's not trying to say, if I'm not sleeping, does that mean that's some moral judgment on me and my heart? No. And then, hey, the other side of the coin is this, nor is this passage condemning excitement and passion for the things that God is doing in the world. Here's what I mean. Imagine this scenario. Somebody comes to me, one of you guys, and says, Pastor Josh, I have this burning desire to stay up all night praying for revival in Chico. An all-night prayer vigil, like that persistent widow in the Gospels who's beating on the door, saying, Lord, do your work here. And I want to make it a church-wide thing and invite people to come pray with me. What if my response to them was, no, -uh. Psalm 127 says, it's vain that you stay up late. In vain that you rise early, God gives to his beloved sleep. No, that would be ridiculous, right? This passage is not meant to quench a desire to seek the Lord fervently, even sometimes late into the night. So, what is it saying then? We've talked about what it doesn't mean, what it's not condemning. What is it trying to tell us? I think it's this, and this is what we're hopefully going to lean into today. I believe what this passage is saying, that your heavenly Father is so trustworthy, he is so sovereignly in control of all things, and he is so good that you can leave your troubles with him and go to sleep, knowing that he's got it. More often than not, 
The thing that produces our sleepless nights is a heart that believes that it is in control of things that it actually is not in control of. We toss and turn in our beds trying to come up with fixes and solutions and solve these things or feel like if we could come up with the right strategy, we could alleviate our worries and our anxieties and our fears. And many times, those things that we are thinking about are circumstances that are outside of our power. And so when we're coming up with all of our strategies, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. We're believing that we have the power and the control of God to affect these things. And that's not right. But here's the grace of our Heavenly Father to us. When he sees us doing that, instead of mocking us or scolding us or chiding us, he says, let me be God. Go to bed. That's what Psalm 127.2 means when it says God gives to his beloved sleep. So as crazy as it sounds, the theme for 2024 that I'm hoping that we lean into is sleep. The sweet sleep that flows out of a trust in our Heavenly Father, an uncompromising trust in him knowing that we can leave our burdens with him. He's in control and he's good and we can rest. I, uh, I joked with the folks up in paradise this morning that I was envisioning this, this twilight zone reality where people actually listened to my sermons online and heard me say this 2024 theme is sleep and they like clipped it and all of a sudden it became a thing. Northern California pastor says church should just take a nap in 2024. And now all the YouTube commentators would be like, see, this is what's wrong with the church. We should be evangelizing and witnessing and, and working for righteousness and justice in the world. And these pastors are just saying, take a nap, everybody. That's where my, that's what kept me up <laughs> this past week. My sleepless night. But of course, the only person that listens to my sermons online is my mother, and I don't think she knows the technology to make a soundbite clip of things. She would if she did. So I don't think that's something I need to worry about. But I say that all that just to kind of give this disclaimer that I hope you realize that my goal here is not to say, like, let's just throw in the towel and check out and take a nap in 2024. No, there is work to be done. While the sun is up, while the day is young, the church has a high calling to strive after Jesus, to pick up our cross and follow him, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh my goodness, those are our huge activities. But when the day is done, when the time comes for rest, th that's the place that I'm worried about. That's the place that I'm talking about. When it's nighttime, when the day is done and we have the opportunity to finally release our tight grip on all these things that we think we control and we actually don't. And we release those worries not into, not into the void of this impersonal universe, but we release them to our Heavenly Father who we are convinced is both in control, it's important, but then even more importantly, we're convinced he's also good. He'll take care of us.
and he'll work all things together for the good of those who love him and Christ. That, the idea of, as I put it in the title, going Now, to sort of flesh out this idea today, I have two sort of companion verses that are going to go along with it. Although the first one is not, you don't have to turn far to find this companion verse. It's Psalm 127.1, the verse that comes right before what we read. This is going to give us a little bit of a context, but I want you to see what sort of sets the table, so to speak, for this idea of God giving his beloved sleep. Here's how the psalm starts. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What this first verse is trying to get us to see is that our own power, our own strength by itself doesn't accomplish much. Spiritually speaking, without the Lord, without his working, without his energy, without his power, nothing happens. The house doesn't get built. The city isn't watched over. And, you know, some people I think have taken this too far and they suggest that our efforts are meaningless and not, you know, to be used at all. Nonsense. God invites us to use our labor, our talents, our skills and what he's doing in the world. You're called in this passage to build, to watch, to labor, but you're called to do it with a humility that understands that your labor without him doesn't accomplish much. So how does this then flow into God gives his beloved sleep? Let's connect the dots. How does this take us there? I think it's simply the idea That when you begin to truly believe that, to know that, to realize it in your heart, it allows you when you're laying your head down on the pillow at night to do the thing we said just a moment ago, release your grip on all these things that aren't actually in your control. And have the Lord take this a thousand pound weight off your shoulders of bearing all the weight of the world and all these things that are so beyond your own strength. It lifts it and it lulls you quietly and gently into a trusting sleep, knowing that your heavenly father is the one building the house. He's the one watching over the city. My mom tells this story about when I was a baby she had my sister who's probably she's three years older than me so she would have been like young young and then I was a baby and we were in Atlanta uh, visiting my grandparents and my mom stopped off at this department store and the weather had been bad but she didn't expect as soon as it got out of the car we got out of the car uh, a tornado came through and all these people in the parking lot are just running towards the department store get out of the path of the storm my mom starts running with me and my sister even the stranger was like here let me take your baby we, you're not going to make it my mom gave me to this strange woman and <laughs> which is an overlooked part of this story that's very irresponsible <laughs> well anyways they ran into the building and they got taken down to the basement of this department store 
uh, because the tornado was like coming directly through. Power's out. People are screaming and crying in the dark. My mom finally finds the strange woman that had me. And uh, you can hear the wind howling outside. And she says, and I've heard this story many a time, that my sister was panicking and freaking out. But I slept through the whole thing. Never woke up. I don't know why I added that detail about my sister. I didn't say that this morning. And now I'm realizing you might be thinking I'm drawing a contrast between I was the trusting baby and she was the, no, I didn't mean that. But all to say that's kind of my vision I have of this soup thing here. As a baby, all I knew was I was in the arms of my mom and I trusted her. It was my mom. I was good. I was okay. Going to go to sleep. Or we don't even have to look too far to our own stories. How about the story about Jesus in the midst of the storm, on the boat, the waves are crashing, the wind's howling, his disciples are freaking out. Where was Jesus? He's asleep in the back of the boat. And when they said, what are you doing, man? He said, I know my father. I'm good. That's the kind of sleep that comes from knowing unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it may fall away. Second verse that I want to kind of be a companion to this actually is going to be in the New Testament. We're looking at John chapter 12, verse 24. It's up here on the screen. Let me read it to you, though. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Jesus is telling us a lot of things in this particular section of the scripture. But in this verse by itself, what he's telling us is that sometimes we view death as the end all be all, the dead end, the end of the road. But the reality is God is able to use death sometimes to bring new life, abundant life in the world, in our hearts, and in the hearts of others. Now, why it is that we're connecting this with this idea of sleep in Psalm 127 is because I, I believe that so often our tossings and turnings in our sleepless nights come from us envisioning the death in the world. And I don't mean just like actual death of people we know and our death, even though that is one of the things that we think about often. But even like the little deaths, the, the lowercase d deaths, the deaths of hopes and dreams that we had that didn't come to pass, the deaths of relationships that have fallen on hard times, uh, the deaths of seasons of our lives that we hate change and now this season's ending and a new one's starting and that's a death to us. Or even sometimes the death of our own ego and pride when we get humbled by life. All these sort of little, you know, lowercase d deaths are the things that can plague us and keep us awake because we're constantly thinking of ways to deny those deaths or to avoid them or to come up with contingency plans to figure out what we're going to do if they happen. And to that, Jesus says, what if the death 
that you're so afraid of is the death that's going to bear fruit and bring life. Sorry, I, I think there is a phone alarm going off behind me. Do you guys hear that? <laughs> well, uh, it's back there somewhere and it's going to, oh, Matt, is that you? Oh, <laughs> I thought it was like in the baptismal, but uh, it, is that it? Oh, sorry, dude, I didn't mean to call you out. I just was like, <laughs> y'all thought I was making that up, didn't you? No, it was a real. So uh, to come back, so wh- where was I? Oh, yes, death, bringing things into new life. We, we are so convinced that these deaths that keep us up at night are these total failures to be avoided at all costs. But the reality is, what Jesus says, what we see all throughout the Bible is sometimes those things that we're so afraid of, those worst case scenarios, are the things that our Heavenly Father is able to use to sprout new life and growth and abundant fruit in our life. So I'm staying up until 4 a.m. scared to death of this, uh, this horrible outcome. And if I only had the perspective of my heavenly father, I would say, Josh, don't be afraid of that. If it happens, so be it. New life can come from it. This truth is one that I feel like if we embrace from our heart, it's like a lullaby singing us to sleep. I don't have to waste my hours laying and tossing and turning in bed being afraid of this. I can trust that even if the worst case scenario happens, my heavenly father's in control. All will be well. And he might even do things above and beyond what I could even dream or hope for through that death I'm so afraid of. I didn't say this this morning, but I feel like I should now. My mom said something to me about a month ago that really ticked me off at first, but it's really stayed with me. She's having a discussion with someone about my dad's situation, his Alzheimer's, and just how hard it's been. And they were trying, trying to say something But sadly, sometimes when people try to comfort you in those situations, I'm sure you felt it yourself, they end up saying the absolutely wrong thing. And they said, you know, I can't imagine, I wouldn't want to put my family through that, and I would just take my own life if I ever heard that that was my outcome or diagnosis of that. And I think they were trying to connect with her of like just saying like, oh, I know you're going through so much. Wrong thing to say. But my mom is a classy lady. And her response was really interesting. She said, you know what? It has been heart-wrenching and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But she said, you know, For the last three years, I've been in Jeff's memory care facility, 
And I had gotten a chance to share life with so many people I would have never met and shine the light of Jesus for them and build relationships that I wouldn't have had otherwise. The Lord has done mighty things through this. And if we had just opted out, we would have never seen it. I told you, it made me mad. I heard her say that. I was like, really? It took our family going through this for God to do that work in people's lives? I don't think so. I don't want to think like that. But it's just stuck with me. And this week I'm thinking about like the ways in which the things that we're so afraid of, God can bear fruit through. At least in her testimony, that's one of them. I don't know if that's a comforting thought to you or not. Like I said, I've struggled with it myself. But I come back to this idea of the things that keep me awake that I fret and toss and turn over. And if I could just realize that my worst case scenario might be the catalyst for life in the eyes of my heavenly father. I think that would invite me into some sweet rest this week. God gives to his beloved sweet Let's end by kind of revisiting something I told you at the beginning. When we were at the beginning of the week, we sort of had a few options of verses that we were going to potentially choose from uh, for this Sunday's sermon. Uh, We talked to a few people in the early week, and by we, I mean me and Brian, uh, sort of when we met together as a staff. And this seemed to really strike a nerve to the people that we talked to. There were a few people that just were like, oh, that's really intriguing. I'd like to hear more about that. There were some people that just broke down crying on the spot. Shout out to some of you that are in here that know what I'm talking about. And we were like, okay, whatever's going on here, we need to lean into this. This seems to be hitting a nerve that maybe the Lord wants us to think more about. And and it just, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, We are weary, we are tired, we are exhausted for many different reasons. We are a people that even though it's the new year, probably are ready to have the weight of the world taken off our shoulders, especially when our head hits the pillow and our mind begins. And if that's where you find yourself here in 2024, or if that's where you find yourself at any point, God is telling you, let me be God and go to death. If there's one thing you remember from the sermon, let it be that little phrase. Let me be God and go to death. And that's why I say 2024 ought to be the most sweet. Not out of laziness. Not out of resignation, but out of trust. There's a fellow named Robert Rayburn who was a really pivotal figure in our denomination as it was getting started. He was a pastor up in Tacoma, Washington. Um, You might know that last name because his brother Jim Rayburn is who started Young Life, which is a partner ministry in our church. So Rob Rayburn, I I heard a story about him. This is years ago. It's a little bit fuzzy, but I'm going to try to tell it now. 
Uh, he's a pastor in Washington, but he also was in the Army. He was an Army chaplain, and in particular, he's a paratrooper who fought in World War II and in Korea. And there's a story about him. Well, first, paratroopers. Yeah, I got to, if you don't know what that is, it's like the craziest thing in the military. You get in a plane, you fly into enemy territory, you then jump out of said plane behind enemy lines with no support. It's wild. It's crazy. So with that in mind, here's the story about Pastor Rayburn. He's a paratrooper. They're flying on their way to a particular mission, and he has his head down almost to his knees. And all the men in the cargo plane think that he's either praying or he's crying and he doesn't want anybody to see him. He was actually asleep. He fell asleep on the way to jump out of an airplane into Germany. They discovered this because when it was time to jump, they had to wake him up. That is insane. And I think the men thought that because after the mission is over, they come to him and say, what the heck was going on? He didn't know how to answer him. He didn't know how to answer them except through a scripture that the Lord brought to his mind. It's from the psalm. It's not the psalm that we read tonight. But it's actually at the front of the book. I'll read it from here. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke again. For the Lord sustained me. I think I'll let that speak for itself. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you give your people rest in 2024. Not indulgent rest, God. Not laziness rest. But the rest that comes from having this intimate and uncompromising trust in you. As we grow in our trust of you as our Heavenly Father, I pray that it would lead us to sleep in times where we feel like we can release all the things that plague our minds and simply trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sorry, Brad, I turned my microphone off anyway. As we head to the Lord's table tonight, uh, 